What's up, Surf City? That sucked. I said, what's up, Surf City? That was only like 30% better. Like, I don't even want to like, I don't even want to try it again. Cause like, you want one more? I'm not, I'm, I'm tempted not to give it to you. Cause like, I don't want to be disappointed in my soul. I'm not doing it. I said, what's up, Surf City? All right, all right, that's better, that's better. Hey, I just got off the paintball course, just letting everybody know. Uh, I'm still, uh, my streak is alive, right? I, House of Man was doing good out there. House of Man ambassadors were out there killing it. Uh, a couple of Fox Chapel boys, I saw you out there, but I, I haven't been touched yet. I haven't been hit yet, all right? I wasn't hot, I was in there firing, baby. I, I, take, I take those shots. The thing is, yeah, Rob was in here hustling. Yeah, I think the, the trick with me in paintball is that like, like, I'm way more nimble than you think. Like, I'm serious, I'm serious. Like, I've always said this and I'm, I'm true. Like, meet me on the basketball court if you don't believe this, but I am the most athletic fat guy you've ever met. I promise you. If it's like athletic skill versus weight happening, like, I am the most athletic fat guy you've ever met. Now, I know like the upper half might not look it, but the lower half is like tree trunks, okay? I have calves that like, I, I'm, you wanna see these, like, I'm, gonna, I'm about to flex them, you ready? I don't think you're ready, you ready? Look, look at that calf. That's like, that's ridiculous, all right? It's like heart shaped, all right? You wanna know how to get calves like this? First, you're gonna start off on a steady diet of hot wings and pizza and build up your upper half. And then you're gonna carry it around for 30 years, okay? And you too will have a lower half like me. No, I love hanging out with you guys, man. Um, high school week is so much fun. I just laugh with you guys. It's so funny. You guys are hysterical and hanging out with you is funny. I remember, I have a quick story from Ambassadors last year. This is one of the funniest things that ever happened to me because like normally I don't get got. I go get, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't get got. I go get, okay? And so I'm hanging out. I had my guys here last year. We were hanging out, and Ambassadors was up here. And there was this one kid, man, that we were kind of hanging out with, and I'm goofing off with, and we're talking to him and stuff. And I'm like, yo, what's up, man? What's your name? And he goes, he's like, he's from India, and he's like, Richard Parker. And I was like, oh, Richard, really good to meet you, you know? And like the day goes on and on and on, right? And like I hear him like introducing himself to some other people. He's like, oh, yes, I am Richard Parker. And I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah. Like three days go by. Three days go by, right? And I go up to him, and I'm like, oh, dude, I forgot what's your name? And he's like, Richard Parker. And I swear to you, that night, I'm lying in bed, and I like, like half asleep, and I bolt up, and I'm like, son of, that's the name of the tiger from, from Life of Pi. Have you seen that movie? That's the name of the tiger from Life of Pi. All week long, he's telling me his name is Richard Parker. Because that's how the guy says it in the movie. He's like, oh, and there's this lion, Richard Parker. And I was like, you told me Richard Parker. You're going to be kidding me. It was one of those, like, subtly, one of the funniest things I've ever, like, ever experienced. It was absolutely ridiculous. But go figure. Have you seen Life of Pi? It's a good movie. It's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's like crazy, and there's a tiger in it named Richard Parker. Um, but yeah, I, I forget his actual name, but you guys know, who, who was that, Lenny? Shaw. 
Vishal, oh my gosh, dude, that kid is funny. But um, I'm excited to talk to you guys tonight. I'm excited to keep moving. And, uh, and that's what we want to do. We want to keep moving. So let me pray for our time together, and, uh, and we'll get started. Father God, um, we just praise you and we bless you, Father, for this day. We just praise you that you have um, ordained this day to be, Father. You have called it into being. You have set it up, Father. You knew that it was going to happen long before we thought of it. Long before Surf City was even a thing, Father, you knew that on a Monday night here on the, uh, the sweet, soft sands of Surf City, this group of people, this specific group of people, not the people who canceled, Father, not the people who never signed up, but the people who were sitting here, those last-minute sign-ups, those last-minute hustles, they weren't random. It wasn't, it wasn't just a, a chaotic event that just happened that you ended up signing up and getting on a bus. God knew specifically that you would be here. I just praise you and I thank you, Lord, that you are our God who, who knows uh, what is best for the people that he loves. I just praise you and I worship you and I thank you. And uh, we ask all of this in your matchless son's name. Amen. So we're talking about uh, who am I? Who am I? What am I doing here? Right? What am I doing here? And I hope that you've had a chance at some point today to, like I said, pump those brakes, slow it down, and really ask yourself that question. Guys, I'm going to keep harping on this because it's so important. It's so easy to put things on a shelf. It is so easy to just put it in a comfortable spot and let it sit there and let it collect dust and let it not do anything. That is not what God wants to happen. God's word is moving and living. His spirit is moving and sweeping through places. God is a God of work. He's doing stuff. He is hustling. He is moving. Jesus says, my father is always at work and I too am working. My father is always at work and I too am working. The Holy Spirit is not stagnant. It doesn't sit. And if you really want to see what it wants to do in your life and how it wants to move, you've got to get on the bus. You've got to get on the bus. You've got to get on and go see what's going to happen. You've got to get moving. My thing is, my prayer for you guys is, is to take one step. If that's all you're going to take this week, take one step. See where you end up. God wants to do something incredible this week. So I want to talk to you guys about one of my favorite people in the Bible. One of my favorite people, and it's David. All right? David is such an amazing character from the Old Testament, and David's story is completely wrapped up in that question of what am I doing here? There's so many moments throughout David's life where he has to be asking himself, what in the world am I doing here? Why has God put me here? And it's an amazing story of watching the Holy Spirit intertwine its story with David's story. The same way that the Holy Spirit wants to intertwine his story with your story. So David was a kid. He was a young dude. And at the time, there was this king of Israel, and his name was Saul. And the king, he started off really good, but, but he was slipping. He was slipping. And there was this prophet, okay? And the prophet decided that he needed to find the next king. God told him, listen, you're going to go, and you're going to find the next king. And so this prophet, his name's Samuel, started going. And led by the Holy Spirit, he found himself at this house. And he found himself with his dad. His guy's name is Jesse. And Jesse had all these sons. Jesse had all these sons. And the Spirit told him, here you're going to find the new king. This is where you're going to find the one who's meant to be king. 
And so one by one, Jesse brings out his sons. And they're like dudes, right? They're like cut, like football players, like big guys ready to go. And one by one, they're brought in front of Samuel. And Samuel like, like uses, remember what we said, right? What does the Holy Spirit do? Discerns. One by one, the Spirit helps Samuel discern that's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. To the point where Jesse's like, I brought all my sons in front of you. I don't know what you want me to do. And the Spirit speaks to Samuel and says, no, there's another. And so Samuel has to, isn't that funny that like Jesse like, like, for, like thought so little of David that he was like, I probably brought all my sons in front of you. And like, he's like, well, no, I think there's one more, right? He's like, oh yeah, I guess there is. He's like way out in the fields. He's the youngest. And we make him go and he watches the sheep. He's a shepherd. But there's no way that you would want him. I mean, he smells like sheep poop, right? There's no way you would want him. Samuel says, bring him. And the moment Samuel sees David, he knows there's something incredibly different. Incredibly different. The Spirit of God speaks to him. And Samuel does what's called anointing, where he takes this oil, basically, and he pours it over David's head. So he has David, like, kneel in front of him, and he pours this oil over him. It's called anointing, and it's claiming that he will be the next king. But something happened at David's anointing that is incredibly unique and incredibly special. This is what it says. So Samuel, and uh, oh, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to be better at this. This is from the book of 1 Samuel, right? This is chapter 16, verse 13. So if you brought your Bibles, you can find that there. If you didn't, that's okay. But like we talked this morning, don't take my word for it. Read it at some point. Read it at some point, okay? You want, I want you in that habit. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And from that day on, the Holy Spirit came upon David in power. I want to pause there. We've set up a little bit of a picture of the Holy Spirit, right? We talked about how in the beginning, when everything was this chaotic mess, this soup of earth and water and garbage and crazy muck and all these things, and it said the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, that calls it the wind, right? The Hebrew word is ruach. Say ruach. Ruach, right? And if you were to call it the Holy Spirit, it's ruach ha-kodesh, okay? Right? I don't want anybody spitting on, on the person in front of them, so we'll just stick with ruach, right? Which means wind, Okay? And it says the wind, right? The Spirit of God rested over this chaos. So there's two ways I want you to know that the Holy Spirit shows up. There's two ways that the Holy Spirit shows up throughout the Bible. First way is wind, ruach, right? Second way is fire. Fire. And there's so many stories throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament where the Holy Spirit shows up as fire. Think about Moses and the burning bush. Think about Elijah on top of the mountain when he calls down the Spirit, and the Spirit blows up the, the, uh, the sacrifice, right? This fiery ball, right, that is the Holy Spirit. So the two ways that the Holy Spirit shows up, it shows up in wind, and it shows up in fire. And I'm an imagery guy, and I'm also kind of a superhero guy, right? I love superheroes. Ninja Turtles are my favorite. Like, Batman's a close second, and then I'm a really big Iron Man fan. But, um, so listen, so I think about this, and I think about the fact that it says the Holy Spirit, and immediately my brain snaps to wind and fire, and it says that it descends, and, and it descends upon this kid, David. 
I think about that. If you had the eyes to see, you would see a kid standing there clothed in wind and in fire. This kind of rippling effect coming up off of him. The very spirit of God resting upon David. It's an incredible image. Very quickly, in chapter 17, we have the story that I'm sure many of you have heard in Sunday school, but I think it's so important that we take it out of Sunday school, out of those pretty little pictures with the small little books, right? David and Goliath. It's not a story for little kids. It's a story for me. It's a story when I feel upset or I feel broken or I feel useless or I feel busted. I go to this story. I love this story because it's a true story. It's not like a fairy tale. The Brothers Grimm didn't write it right? Stephen King couldn't write something this good. And I'm a big Stephen King fan, okay? This is a true event, something that historically happened. It's bananas. It's crazy. And it talks about how this King Saul led the Israelites out against a giant army of their enemy, which was the Philistines. Tens of thousands of people on each side, lined up, right? I want you to see this picture in your head because it says basically, like, think about this. There's a big valley right through here. And on this side are the Israelites, and on this side are the Philistines. They are lined up, tens of thousands of men, fighting men in armor, with spears, and with swords. These people know their business. They live their lives day to day, fighting and plundering and taking things. That's all they know is they live by the sword, right? These are not people you would mess with. And the Israelites and the Philistines are standing there across this valley and they're staring each other down. There's a battle about to happen. They know it. And then, think about this. The Philistines, they, they kind of part just a little bit. And there stands Goliath. Goliath was not to be messed with. Goliath comes out from amongst the ranks. And it says this. A champion named Goliath who was from Goth came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. It's about 60 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 pounds shekels. It's about 16 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. There stands this nine foot dude. All it talks about is his chest plate, which weighed 60 pounds. The rest of his armor probably weighed about 100 pounds. But he's nine feet tall, standing there clad in this military tank-like armor. He's got a sword on his side. He's got a javelin on his back. He's holding a spear that is almost as tall as he is with a spearhead weighing 16 pounds. When's the last time you picked up like a 16-pound dog? That's how much his spearhead weighed. The dude was not messing around. And he comes out. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. He is able, if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. 
Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Tens of thousands of dudes standing here, shaking in their boots, peeing in their armor over a Goliath, over a giant, standing there defying every one of them. He's saying, send one dude. We don't all have to fight. Send one. We'll do this one-on-one. If I win, you guys will lose. You all become our slaves. If you win, which you won't, will become your slaves. And it says day after day, the army stood there. And day after day, Goliath came out and screamed his challenge. Slowly, the Israelites were losing heart. None of them, not even Saul, their king, would step up and face this guy. David wasn't a warrior. He wasn't invited. He only got sent to the army because he was bringing food to his brothers. So even after this anointing, he still, his family didn't think much of him. And so he's sent out to take some cheese and some food and some stuff to his brothers. And his dad wants to hear how they're doing, so he says, come back and tell me what's going on. So this kid David goes out. And he gets in line with all the the Israelites. And he starts distributing the food. And I imagine as he's standing there, Goliath comes out to scream his daily challenge. And David stands there and hears. And he watches as nobody reacts. He watches as everybody is terrified. He watches as everybody just slowly turns their back. He watches as everybody passes the buck. Everybody's sitting there saying, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. That's not my job. That's not my job. That's not my job. That's not my job. Somebody else will do it. There's a giant defying us, but somebody else will take care of it. That's not my job. David can't take it anymore. He can't take it anymore. He starts asking questions. He starts asking people, what's going on? Why won't anybody fight? They're like, have you seen him? He's ridiculous. And sure enough, this hubbub about David, this kid who starts to say, I'll go. I'll go. I'll do it. And this buzz starts happening throughout the Israelite camp to the point where David is actually brought in front of Saul. Think about that. Think about this kid. We don't know how old he is, 14, 15 years old. Being brought before the king because all these grown men won't step up. Do you think if one single person stood up that David would be the one that was brought before the king? But because nobody, not even the king, would do it, this kid finds himself standing in front of Saul and boldly saying, I'll go. I'll do it. And he has this interaction with with Saul and David. And it says this, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replies, you you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. You're just just a kid. You can't go fight him. I love what he says that. He goes, he has been a fighting man from his youth. He's basically saying like, he's been like, since he was a baby, he was a man, right? He's like a little man baby. And he like was born with like a beard. Like he came out like swinging, right? Like he killed the doctor that like this dude, 
He's a little man, baby boy, baby man, right? He's huge. You don't, you don't know what you're talking about. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. You see, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Let this uncircumcised Philistine, your leaders will tell you what that means, yet this Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I love that. One second Saul's saying, there's no way you can go. You can't go. You can't do it. That's not you. And David says, I know what I'm about. I know what I'm about. He says, nothing on earth can stand before the power of the living God. He says, I know my God. I've been rescued from by my God. I've been given power by my God. My God has saved me time and time again. This Philistine will be nothing compared to what I've walked through with my God. I know who God is. I know who the creator of the universe is. I have a relationship with him. And Saul doesn't even have an answer. Saul has no idea what to say. All Saul says is go and let the Lord be with you. So they start to prepare David. And, uh, and they start to put Saul's own armor, the king's own armor, onto David. But once they have all this armor on David, it's too heavy. He's, he's not that old. He can't really carry it all. He's not that big. It's weighing him down. And he even says, I, I can't go out like this. This isn't me. And I think about that. Back to this imagery, right? Back to what's going on here. In this moment, and just track with me for a second. In this moment, the world is still trying to give David what it thinks he needs. The world is trying to clothe David in metal and leather. But David is already clothed in wind and fire. I would never replace metal and armor and leather for the Holy Spirit's wind and fire. David is already armored. David is already ready to go. I just wish I could see that. I wish I could see with the eyes of God to see what that looked like as this kid slowly picks up his staff and picks up his sling and takes five smooth rocks from the river and starts to walk towards this Philistine, absolutely wreathed and armored and clothed in the Spirit of God. And he starts to move out against the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? 
and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. This Goliath is standing there taunting David. Come here, boy. Come here. I got something for you. David is unshaken. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. That's incredible. Today, the whole world will know that there is a God. David's not doing this so that David's famous. David's not, not doing this so that he gets money or he's rich. He's not doing it to earn the reward. He's not doing it to win the battle. He's doing it so that the world will know that there is a God. And the two clash. They come at each other. You can see the Philistine takes a, a, a running start and is running back at him. But David takes his stone and takes his sling, which is really cool. I almost brought one, but I forgot it. Um, and it's this like leather, you know, two pieces of leather with a pouch on the end. And you would have one wrapped around your middle finger and you'd hold onto the other piece and you would snap it one time and flick that wrist and it would release this stone. You could throw stones about a baseball size, right? And they would pick up speed pretty fast. And he had this stone, and he took it, he whips around once, flings this thing, smack in the forehead of the Philistine. And down goes Goliath. David runs up on him, takes Goliath's own sword, and cuts his head off. Just like that, the battle's won. Just like that, the Philistine army breaks. They all start to flee. They all turn their backs and they run. And just in that moment, the Israelites take heart because of what David has done. And they charge down and they take and they just destroy the entire army. And they take everything that they've had. They, they've won this unbelievable battle because of who David is, because of what David's done, because of the faith David has in the God of Israel, in the God of the universe, in the God that we're here to learn about, in the God that has a plan for you the same way he has a plan for David. It's incredible. David is wrapped up and carried by this wind and fire of the Holy Spirit. And here's the most amazing part. We're going to talk about this more later in the week. But it doesn't even say that the Spirit of God moved into David. All it says is that the Spirit rested upon David. Later, we're going to talk about a promise that's not for David, a promise that's for you. Because God says that you are more blessed than even David because the Spirit of God wants to move inside of you. It wants to live inside of you. This wind and this fire wants to be inside of you, giving you a new heart, giving you a new spirit, giving you new power, giving you the ability to defy the giants that we have in today's age. We don't have many nine-foot people left 
but we absolutely have giants that need to be defied. There are injustices in this world. There is brokenness in this world. There are shattered lives in this world. There are people who, are not, uh, who have not heard the name of Jesus Christ in this world. There are people who are living in brokenness. And there are mechanisms that, that, are, that need to be shattered. We live in a world where, where unbelievable celebrities and media want to tell you what to think and tell you how to act, tell you what to wear, tell you what your worth is. And they are these giants standing on these hills and somebody needs to do something about it. And here's the most amazing thing. Here's the most amazing thing. God is not asking you to defeat the giant. It is not your job to defeat the giant, but it is your job to throw a stone. It is your job to throw the stone. God will do the rest, but he's looking for people who want their story to be wrapped up in his story. He's looking for people who want their story to be wrapped up in the story of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. God is looking for people to take great swings for his kingdom. He's not looking for people to defeat giants. That's God's job but he's looking for people who are willing to throw a stone. This is one of my favorite stories. I've told you, when I get depressed, when I get in a, in a rut, I turn to these pages in the book of Samuel, and I take absolute heart in them and the promises of God. Throughout the week, we're going to talk more about those promises and what they mean for your life. But, again, when you're annoyed and tired of me saying it, I'll say it three more times. Pump the brakes. You're not doing anything else this week. Yeah, we're having fun. Yeah, I'm lighting you up with paintballs. Yeah, I'm not getting hit. We're eating some delicious food. We're hanging out together. But you don't have homework. You don't have annoying little brothers or sisters. You have some time to pump the brakes and really think about what it would mean to wrap and intertwine your story with what God wants to do with you through the very power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for who you are. You are truly incredible. Father, the very might and strength and force that you gave David to defeat Goliath, Father. May we also have that power and that grace and that ability, Father, to tackle the giants that we face. May they be internal giants, whether we're wrestling with things internally like depression, anxiety, we're struggling with, with, um, with like uh, physical illness, Father, or mental illness, whatever these giants are in our lives that we can't handle, Lord, we ask that you give us the power to deal with. If they are external Giants, Father, that you are calling us to step into and be the change that you want to see in this world. Father, just give us the strength to do that. Give us the eyes to see the path that you want us to walk. Father, we do not ask for a different or easier path. We simply ask for the feet to walk the path that you've laid before us. We ask all of this in your matchless Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to audio recorded at Surf City 2017. Feel free to share this audio, but please do not alter the content. Surf City is a ministry of the Pittsburgh Kids Foundation. To learn more, visit us online at pkfcamps.org.